ago, I was participating on a camping trip with a number of men from this church. Uh, We were canoeing up in the boundary waters of Minnesota. And uh, it's a wilderness area, and we had been in for about a week. And uh, this was Friday, our last day, and we were eagerly anticipating a real bed to sleep on and uh, real food to eat. And uh, it's wonderful being of a camp like that, and it's just one of those things just waiting for that last day when you can get out there. I had participated some in coordinating the trip and had planned the menus and had bought the food and so forth. And uh, I and eight other guys from this church were um, enjoying that camping trip. Our last day out, we stopped and pulled our canoes over to the side of the trail and had our last lunch that we had packed. And of course, it was food that we had packed. Can't refrigerate up there, so we'd been packed in there all week and we were um, eating it, thinking of the next meal would be like a real burger or something like that and pull the food out. We had bagels. The bagels were just a little bit fuzzy in spots from mold. And prunes with the pit still in them. And so there we sat by our canoes eating our furry bagels and prunes with the pits in them. And in comes this other uh, canoe. And he's uh, it's a father's son. And they were on the way in. So they were all clean and everything, and we obviously were not. And they, they pulled their canoe over and um, proceeded to pull out their lunch. Fresh pumpernickel bread, provolone cheese, salami, fresh sliced onion, Oh, my goodness. And there we sat across the trail eating our furry bagels and prunes with pits in them. And as we ate, one of our group members, (coughs) Izzy, (coughs) had a very large hunting knife. And as he sat there, he's slowly spreading peanut butter on his bagel. And I realized he wasn't looking at them. He was looking at me. (laughs) I said, okay, guys, it's time to go. We we really, we really, really need to go. And we uh, took off from there and enjoyed, deeply enjoyed our burgers the next day. But you see, it's human nature always when you have something to want something better. Now, just to put your mind at ease, we, we eat much better now. In fact, we've added pumpernickel bread and and, and salami and provolone cheese to our menu. But see, it's human nature just to say when you have something, you want something else. Even if you don't see what the other person has. That's just human nature. We always want more. We're going to look at some verses from Scripture today. If you have a Bible open to Luke chapter 12, we read verses 13 through 21. We're actually going to try to cover, in the moments we have left, um, all the way from 13 through 34. Now, it's quite a story that Luke packs in there. Luke is good at this. He's an, an analytical thinker, and he's able to take stories and, and put them all together into one spot 
so that we can understand what it is that Jesus is telling us. This is a story about Jesus. And the context is, basically, in his earthly ministry, he's traveling around, walking around, teaching and preaching, telling parables, and often there's a group of Pharisees following behind, just waiting for that moment to pounce, because they indeed want him, wanted to put him to death. And we're going to look at verses 13 through 14, and we're going to call that the scene. It kind of sets it up for us. Verses 13 through 14 is the scene. For those of you who like outlines, I'll put an outline in here. Um, verse 15 is the statement. And then verses 16 through 21 is the story. And then verses 22 through 34 is the sermon. So we have the scene, we have the statement, we have the story, and then we have the sermon. Someone in the crowd said to him, verse 13. Now this is Jesus they're talking about, and he's attracting a crowd as usual. The disciples are there, and someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now see, brothers under Jewish law often received unequal amounts of inheritance. The firstborn, according to Deuteronomy uh, 21.17, often received a double portion. So perhaps this was the younger brother. We don't know. But he just said, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. It sounds like to us, I want justice. Jesus understood it as, I want He goes to Jesus, whom he perceived to be a rabbi, and therefore somebody with influence and power, and Jesus not only perceived his greed, but called him on it publicly, and then quickly turned the incident into a teachable moment. I love those teachable moments. When something's happening, you've done this with your kids, maybe, or something like that, or something's going on, you say, you know, this is a teachable moment. Jesus used that frequently, and this is one of them. He says, man, which is friend, sir, mister, listen, who made me a judge or arbitrator? Over you, He often answers questions with questions. It's something, a pattern of Jesus that he has throughout Scripture. You'll see that. And he said, why ask me? Now, see, Jesus was a teacher, and people knew that. Okay? Um, he wasn't necessarily recognized by the religious or political establishment, but people would recognize that, that he was a teacher, and, think, and so this guy's thinking, you know, I'm, he's a person of influence. I'm going to leverage that somehow and use it to my advantage. So I want my brother to give me my share of the inheritance. The next verse is the statement. Jesus goes straight to the heart. He doesn't waste any time. The statement, verse 15. He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He goes straight to the heart on this. And see, he is able to perceive motives. Talk about a superpower. We talk about you know, superpowers, and we like to imagine those. Uh, not only does Jesus know every, what you're thinking, he knows why you're thinking that. And so he went straight to this man's motive. He understood it to be greed. And he says, be careful with regard to possessions. Don't get caught in the trap of always wanting more. Now, compare the, the 10th commandment from Exodus chapter 20. Thou shalt not covet. And Jesus is saying these things to people who knew the commandments well, yet knowing the commandments, knowing the instructions, and actually following them, very different things. You could recite them, but not necessarily follow them. 
See, my life is not measured or weighed by how much I own. Your life is not. And quite frankly, this is in direct opposition to what the world tells you. The world tells you, or human nature leads us to believe, that a person has it together, looking at what he drives, his house, what he wears, what's in his bank account, who he associates with. That's how we, that's how we kind of, you know, profile people. Uh, a couple years ago when I was in Manila, um, I caught a taxi uh, to go from one place to the next and struck up a conversation with the taxi driver. And he, knowing that I'm American, um, assumed that I was rich. And quite frankly, in many cases, I mean, just when you compare, yes, Americans are significantly more rich than, um, than many uh, Filipinos. So he, he said, you know, it's kind of chit-chat. So what kind of car do you drive? Assuming, you know, that's say like a, I don't know, Escalade or something like that. I don't know. And I looked at, around me, and I'm sitting in a um, four-door white Toyota Corolla. And I said, isn't that interesting? I own a four-door white Toyota Corolla. And he's looking at me, no. I said, yes, I do. See, he profiled me, thought I was rich. And, and then he says, oh, missionary. Yeah, yeah, mission, missionary, yeah. <laughs> but we do. We assume human nature leads us to believe that a person has it together by looking, you know, just looking in the outward appearance, see what they drive. TV commercials. They sell us products not based on the value of the product itself, but how it will make us look. Right? A car commercial? Do they open the hood and let you put the camera down in there and see it? No, 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 no. They, they associate, they put people there. You can be like this if you drive this car. That's what we hear. Well, Jesus moves on to the story. See, he, he makes that statement in verse 15. Um, in verses 16 through 21, he goes on to the story. And this is a parable. Remember what parable is? It is simply, uh, it's simply something to illustrate a truth. It's not meant to teach a truth necessarily, but to illustrate a, tr- a truth. It's an extended metaphor. And he tells this story. It's something like this. Verse 16, he says to them, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? See, everything's fine. He's got material blessings. It's managed well. He appears to have made an honest living and was very successful. But there's something hidden. See, he's just starting out fine. There's something hidden there. Uh, he has a meeting with his financial advisor himself. And he says, Self, we have done well. So well, I need to figure out what to do with the surplus. Verse 18 it becomes clear. He said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. This is the pivotal point. So he's good. He's okay up until this point. He's, got, he's done well. He's got a lot packed away in his retirement account. Uh, but here's the pivotal point. It all becomes about him. He could say... I'm able to live on what I already have. I could give all this away and never miss it. He could say that. I was reading um, Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle. Excellent book. Excellent. Very small book, something you could probably go through in a week. Um, The Treasure Principle. 
And his principle number six is this. God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Oh, that was good. God prospers, prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. Now, maybe this individual, this rich person, had already given his 10% like a good Jewish person should. And he probably prided himself that he did not break that 10th commandment, meaning thou shalt not covet. Technically, we're good at that. Technically, I'm not really sinning by keeping all this for myself. Because I'm not coveting what somebody else has. It's just that I'm going to keep it. Ah, those technical, those technical ones are the ones that get us in trouble sometimes. Because we like to look at the letter of the law and say, oh, it's, oh I'm not doing wrong. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not coveting. That's probably what this guy is saying. I'm not coveting. Instead, I'll reinvest... I'll open more bank accounts, a second IRA, continue to build my portfolio, diversify my assets, dabble in the stock market, and purchase more real estate, all centered on him. In verse 19, and then I will say to my soul, soul, see he did talk to himself, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years, relax, eat, drink, and be merry. Now keep in mind, there's nothing wrong with having the money. It's what we do with it. And he says, eat, drink, and be merry, which probably to the Jewish people in the audience that rang rang a bell there because from Isaiah chapter 22, verse 13, God uh, is speaking to the people of Jerusalem and their response is, let us eat and drink for tomorrow we die. And God condemns them for failing to repent and just living for that day. See, there is an eternity. Once we have crossed over, there's no turning back. No do-over. No undoing some of the stupid things that we're doing now or will do or have done in the past. And in verse 20, he says, Fool! God said to him, Fool! This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? This is a strong word in any language. And wait a minute, why is he saying fool? Look at this guy. All that he's built up, all of his retirement accounts, everything he's done, my goodness, he's amassed a huge amount of wealth and God calls him fool? Because in our minds, we think, well, this guy's pretty good. He's smart. He's no fool. God said fool because God knew it was in his heart. There was greed there. This very night. And you know what? Death comes to all of us. None of us know when. There is a calendar somewhere with your name on it, with my name on a certain date. You don't know when that is. For this guy, it was that day. We have no idea. But we'll be held accountable. And the rhetorical question that Jesus asks, and the things you have prepared... Whose will they be? (laughs) Not yours. In verse 21, So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This is is one of those parables where Jesus is nice and he, he interprets and he applies the parable for the people around him. And this is how it is for the rich person who is centered on self and ignores God and eternity. Imagine with me for a moment, uh, you know, approaching the gate of heaven 
And the person comes up and uh, the, the gatekeeper says, let me see here. Uh, yeah, your name's right here. Um, oh, but your heavenly bank account, I'm sorry, uh, it's empty. Um, oh, let's see. Oh, that's right. Did you, did you bring anything with you? Oh, that's right. You can't. Sorry. You had to leave it all behind. Well, enjoy eternity. Nothing here, but oh well. Now, again, that's just imagination. I don't know. I don't know what the gatekeeper's going to be like, but look at that. What are, where are we putting the things that we're earning now? Where do, we put, where do we put ourselves, our lives? Do we just invest on this temporary planet we're on for this time being? Now, Jesus basically refused the man's request, but in doing so, he offered him something of infinitely, infinitely greater value. A life free from worry and greed and an eternity with God, knowing he could look back on that short span of life and know that he spent it well. Well, that was the story. We had the, we had the, um, the scene, the statement, the story, and then Jesus moves into a sermon. I, I like how Luke compacts that here, because he starts out in verse 22. He said to his, to his disciples, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Just don't worry. Stop being anxious. That appears a number of times in Scripture. Uh, Verse 23, why? For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, wait a minute. Those are basic things, right? Does that mean that if I go food shopping or clothes shopping, then somehow I'm doing something that God didn't want me to do? No, 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 no. But life is more than that. Sometimes we behave as, as if it isn't. We just pursuit is either buying this or our first thing is we got we got to look online and see what's on sale. Oh, we must have it. And of course, the retailers are all out there telling us that we do, so we believe them. Okay, they said I have to have it. Okay, I have to have it, and I go get it. No, life is more than that. That's what Jesus is saying. And then, off, as he often does, Jesus comes out with an object lesson. He uses existing props to teach a lesson. Verse. 24, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? If, then, you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? He uses an illustration as he's walking along. Now, before we try to get hung up on some theological significance of ravens or something like that. No, no, no. It's like this. A few of us are following Jesus up California Avenue. And as we're following him, he's telling us about, about eternal life and what, how significant that is. And he points out to us, look at these pigeons. Okay? Look at these pigeons all over the place. You see them? God takes care of them. He feeds them. And look at the flowers on that, that one front porch over there. See how beautiful they are? Do you think they made their own beauty? I took care of them. And you, you're, you're how many, what? Five foot, eleven, six foot, four foot, three, I don't know. You think by worrying you can add any inches to that? That's what Jesus is doing. As he's walking along, he's pointing this stuff out and saying, you're taking care of God takes care of you. We can rest in that. We can know that he's a loving father that takes care of us. 
So why expend so much energy in trying to make this life here and now the most comfortable you possibly can? It's short. That's not being morbid. That's just being realistic. Here's a mathematical formula. I'm not a mathematician. Disclaimer. Okay? But if I were, I'd make up this formula. Okay? It is an increase in wealth and there is a corresponding increase in anxiety. Right? The increase in wealth brings about an increase in anxiety because we've got more to worry about. Instead, look at verse 29. There's a word that comes up. In fact, look in verses 29, 30, and 31. There's a word that pops up in each of those verses, in 29 and 30 and 31. That word is seek. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. The word is kind of weak in the English language because it just says seek. Oh, okay. As the listeners, as the readers were reading Luke, they knew it was a bit stronger than that. It means to really pursue after, uh, long for, earnestly look after, pursue. That's what the word seek means. Verse 30 says, everyone else pursues those things. Your father already knows that you need them. Verse 31, instead, seek his kingdom and these things will be added to you. Instead, pursue what is eternal, God's kingdom. And these things, your daily needs, will be added instead of the other way around. I'm going to seek what I need here and now, and then, in, you know what, God, when I have time for you, I'll seek after you. No, we don't say that. But often that's how we live. And he says, no, 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 seek God's kingdom. And if you see the, the cross-reference in there, Matthew 6.33, Matthew adds the word first. Seek first God's kingdom, and these things will be added to you. It doesn't matter. It's, it means seek him first, pursue after him. Make it your life passion to know and to seek after God. And then he'll take care of you. He'll watch over you. Verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We have as our chief shepherd a generous and loving God. His promises are for our eternal well-being. He knows that's what we need. When we sang earlier, God works all things together for our good. He defines that good. And often, he defines it differently than we do. Because we like to say our good is, I'm comfortable, I have everything I want and more. And remember, God, you promised that you, you, that you would do that. He's not talking about that. When he says for our good, he means for eternity. How much more significant is that than the few years that we spend here on this earth? So when we think about good and we sing that song about good, that's what he's talking about. He knows what we need. Often so much better than we do. Verse 33, sell your possessions. Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. So stop 
hanging on so tightly to what you have here and now. You're not going to take it with you. Sell your position, possessions. That's what the rich fool should have done. Live on what you need and then give the rest away. Wow, that's pretty radical. This is investing in eternity. This is buying a wallet that never runs out. Like to have one of those? The ultimate retirement account that always accrues interest, never runs out, has the highest return. And then Jesus helps everyone by clearly stating the interpretation and application of his parable and his sermon. Verse 34. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Very simple, yet profound statement. You'll see it in your bulletin today, in fact. That's the verse that's in there. You know what I recommend? Cut that out. It's okay if you cut up your bulletin. Cut that out. Put it on your computer somewhere where you see it, where you have to buy something. Where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Or even, here's another idea. Here's, a, here's, a, here's an idea for a password for your PayPal account, your Amazon account. L-U-K-E-1234. Now, everybody can use that. I know that. I know that. But think about that. If there's something there that reminds you and said, hey, where's your treasure? We need that. A few weeks ago, there was an article in the newspaper, and the front page said it all. It says, he had it all. And he was $20 million in debt. The late, a late international businessman lived on a two-mansion lakefront compound, compound in a tranquil suburban neighborhood, a place where deer graze on the front yards of millionaires. The opulent property now stands at the center of a multinational legal brawl over the assets of a man who whipped up a $20 million, $20 million hurricane of debt, including nearly $7 million owed to Las Vegas and Atlantic City casinos. This man died at the young age of 52. He had amassed so much wealth. He had two mansions, 40-foot yacht, numerous cars, and it was all gone. He left it. And as I read through this story of the rich fool, I thought, this is what we're talking about. We just consume ourselves with amassing as much as we can for the here and now. Now, see, another danger is this, because we hear the story about the rich fool. And some of you in your Bibles, you have a heading over there where they, the, the um, editors have written the words, the rich fool, over that. And we say to ourselves, glad he's not talking about me. I'm neither rich nor a fool. However, do you remember um, in parables, Jesus would often kind of conceal a truth. And the Pharisees following along behind him would say, huh? Who's he talking about? Be careful. Be careful. Especially if you're saying, I'm not rich. Write down this website. Global Rich List. All one word. GlobalRichList.com GlobalRichList.com 
interesting website. I'm not going to tell you what's, I'm just going to tell you to go to that. Uh, select American dollars and then put in your annual income and see where you land in relation to the rest of the world. We're rich, especially here in America. We are rich. And a fool? Well, you know, a fool is a person that has no clue. Even other people around him might realize something about it and he's blind to it. Think about that. Especially when we look at others and say, oh, that's who Jesus is talking about. No, no, no. Folks, we have to re- apply this to our own lives. Well, we've discovered some reasons for investing in eternity. Let's take the last couple minutes here and look at how. Because it's good to know all this, but so what do I do with it? And I'm going to throw some scripture passages out there. I wish we had time to, de- to develop each of these, but at least you can jot the passage down and look at it later. Luke chapter 18, verse 18. Luke 18, 18. This is where the, a rich man approaches Jesus and says, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, have you done this? Have you obeyed the commandments? Have you followed those laws? And the rich man says, yes, I've, I've done all that. And Jesus says, okay, now sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And the rich man's like, oh, and leaves. Can't do that. Wow, he was hanging on to things. And then Jesus turns to his disciples and says, see, told you, easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven because we hang on to things. So the first step, first thing, not step, first thing is understand. First, understand that wealth can have a grip on us and we may not even realize it. It might even be the $5 we have in our pocket. It can serve to keep us from freely following Christ. First, understand that concept of wealth. Second, there's something very clear in Scripture that we're supposed to obey. 1 Timothy 6.17 1 Timothy 6.17, Paul writes something for us to obey, as, and this is what he writes, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. So first, understand. Second, obey. Third, decide to be content. Philippians 4, 11, 11 through 13, actually. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Paul writes, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Decide to be content. It's not based on my feeling and it's not based on my bank account. It's based on my fellowship with God. That's what it's based on. And feeling of content. And it's the decision that we make. We can decide that. We first understand that wealth can have a grip on us. Secondly, we obey God's very um, clear instructions in Scripture. Third, we can decide to be content. And fourth, Luke 16.13. Luke 16, 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Shoes. First, understand that grip. Secondly, obey God's word. Thirdly, decide to be content. And fourth, 
Choose, because God desires an undivided heart. It's not both hands, either or. Choose which way we need to go. We need to make all four of these constants in our lives. It's not like a a step-by-step process. They're not four steps to a successful and happy life. No, no, no. There are four things, or in fact, there are four reminders of daily dying to self and living for Christ. I think sometimes as Jesus was talking to his disciples, think of who he was. He was God eternal, essentially. So he had been all the way in eternity past. And here he was for this short period of time on earth, an even shorter time um, teaching and preaching, and then he was going to be in eternity future. And he's trying to explain to them there's more to it. You've got to think eternally, folks. He's got to, you've got to think eternally. Because he knows because he's been there. And, and many times the disciples and the other followers just didn't get it. It would be like you and I trying to explain to a baby still in the womb, there's a lot more to life than this. Okay, it's bright out there, and you're only here for nine months. Your mother only wants you there for nine months, so that's for sure. And, and try to explain to that baby... What, what is that? What life is like out there? Well, that's, that's a poor illustration, perhaps, but I tell you, Jesus is trying to explain to us and trying to teach us there is so much more to eternity than what is taking place here now. But what we do with that short time we have here affects us for all of eternity. Beware, especially, lest we think we have mastered this principle worry free kingdom living and assume that the message is for somebody else. Understanding and applying this principle is a process. You just walk out of here and say, okay, I'm done, I did it. No, no, no. It's a lifelong process. It involves a deep pursuit of my relationship with God and then a very intentional and ongoing releasing of the things which tend to own me. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, there is so much, so much that we have to learn. Thank you for these words this day where you are teaching us. You're so patient with us. We thank you for that. Our prayer is that as we read these words and come to this understanding of who you are, that there will be real change in our lives. Not just a happy thought we had at church today but a week-long process of releasing these things that tend to own us, recognizing that you own it and that we have just but a few years here on earth to be wise stewards of what you've allowed us. Thank you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As our worship team comes and leads us today, there will be some prayer counselors that will come down to the front here. Those of you that would like someone to pray with you, doesn't have to be with regard to what we're talking about today. It can be about anything. I invite you to come and take advantage of that, and they will just pray with you. That's all they do is just pray with you. But we'd like to offer that for you today.